thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who would never open Pandora's box, Mike <laughs> Vandebogard. Thanks, Joe, and thank you to everybody who's tuned in to another episode of Locations Unknown. Just got a few updates here. First, I uh, would like to thank all of our new Patreon supporters this month, and I think Ooh, I'll do a little better. Go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> a little better with the names this this time around. Um, but we've got pay- so these are the patrons: um, Mariella, Patty, Taylor, Jameson, Troy Flowers, Carol Sturman, Noel Anders Pedersen, Terry Plemons, and Deborah Wales. So you like nailed to- it, I think. I know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm getting better at it. Uh, we can't thank you guys enough. Um, your support really helps. Joe and I, you know, try to make the show better. We we self-fund everything, and you know, we have advertising every once in a while. And um, but yeah, you got the support that you guys send us is amazing. And we're starting to get some some people from some cool uh, areas of the world. Um, Mariella is from South America. Uh, she was talking with us on our Discord channel, and we've got several supporters from the UK, and we have a new one in um, the Netherlands, I believe. All so, right. and for everyone who doesn't know, we, we have a Discord server now for Locations Unknown where you can chat with, you know, everyone that's a Patreon member and with Joe and myself. So uh, don't forget to uh, sign up and join, you know, that server through our Patreon page. Um, another update, and I'll try to keep these short. Sometimes people complain Joe and I talk too much in the beginning. <laughs> um, oh, well. <laughs> I, I got some new magnets ordered that I really like, so we're going to be adding uh, magnets to our Patreon uh, swag list and eventually you know, get them for sale on our Facebook page. And i just like to say that we got a lot of feedback, Joe, from our last episode on uh, Erica Lloyd. We, it, it was all over the map. We've got, we got some feedback from friends who kind of were happy that we were you know, telling the story just to kind of keep it alive. And then, you know, some of the family, uh, they weren't upset with us, but they, they didn't like our opinions on what happened to Erica. So, you know, it's understandable. They're, you know, still in kind of the thick of it, trying to find her. So sure. I respect their opinions. Um, and yeah, know, we never we... mean any disrespect. Our, our job is to report on, and it is our opinion. I mean, that's what yeah. it comes down to is we look at the facts. We're, we're in a, most of these cases unbiased because we don't have a relation. So it can mm-hmm. come off maybe a little cold, but it, it quite literally is just our assessment and our thought process of what we believe happened based on what we've read and seen. Uh, it's nothing more or less than that. Yeah. So, and as we always say, if, if you know, we, if you notice that we said something wrong or got something wrong, uh, let us know and we'll we'll set the record straight you know in the next episode so 
that that's kind of the updates I have. Joe, any anything from your end? No, um, it's uh, not much going else on here. Uh, personal update. Um, it's it's funny, and, and Mike has been laughing about this behind the scenes, though. But I sold my house a few months ago, and while we're looking for a new house, I moved my entire family into a three-bedroom apartment. So there are eight <laughs> of us in a three-bedroom apartment, and uh a few weeks ago we got all got coronavirus so, <laughs> so yeah that's a I've, I've been tough stretch in, luck luckily for all of us it was mild um so some of my kids had very little symptoms i had just like stuffy nose my wife had a stuffy nose it wasn't too bad so thank god because i know some people get it a lot worse but it's been crazy year we we, we found a new place and we're gonna be moving in there soon and um my, my recording quality will probably go up because it won't be in this tiny apartment so <laughs> that, that's what's going on in my life right now right before well, the holidays yeah uh, it, on my end it's been pretty pretty slow working from home and uh just trying to ride out the pandemic uh so i've got you know not a lot a lot going on unfortunately <laughs> you know work is busy but yeah uh and yeah thankfully haven't caught uh the coronavirus that i know of yet but my wife's entire family had it about a month ago too so they uh, all get through okay yeah, some of them had some, I would say, severe flu-like symptoms, but nothing where they had to go to a hospital or anything like well, that. Well, that's good. And it cleared up after about a week and a half. So, no, that's really good. Yeah, but uh, you know, the vaccine's here, and hopefully, uh, yeah, by you know this time next year, it'll all be a distant memory. <laughs> that would be very, very, very nice. <laughs> all right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. triangle often called the devil's triangle is a mysterious section of the atlantic ocean creating a triangle between miami san juan puerto rico and bermuda within this patch of ocean dozens of ships and planes have gone missing under mysterious circumstances never to be seen again what is causing all these unexplained disappearances are strange phenomena that modern science can't explain to blame Join us this week as we investigate the Bermuda Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle has been a fascination of mine for a long time. I think it it stems back to an episode of The X-Files back in the 90s. Um, I can't remember the exact episode, but it was something like, you, you remember that black liquid that was alien from the show that would get into people's eyes? Yes. I think they found an old like World War II plane on the bottom, and the diver went down to get it and got that the alien moved into him and I think it happened in the Bermuda triangle. Uh, so that that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> and I may have that wrong, but I, I think X-Files touched on the Bermuda triangle a couple times in the series. 
And I think that was kind of my initial fascination with it. I've always watched the documentaries on it. But so like we said in the uh, the open, that the Bermuda Triangle is this imaginary triangle in the Atlantic Ocean. And the three points of the triangle are Miami, San Juan, and Bermuda. Now, the vicinity of the Bermuda Triangle is some of the most heavily traveled shipping lanes in the world, uh, with ships frequently crossing through uh, to the ports in America, Europe, and the Caribbean islands. Cruise ships and pleasure craft regularly sail through this area too, and there's a lot of commercial aircraft that fly over it. So in one sense, it does make a lot of sense that there would be a lot of disappearances in an area that's heavily trafficked. Sure, uh, it's kind of like how most accidents occur within a few miles of your house. And it, yeah. it has nothing to do with where you live. It has to do with the fact that you're leaving and coming back to that area yep. most often. But as we, we get into some uh, some interesting disappearances and the, the weird phenomena that people think going on, I think there is more going on here than maybe, you know, meets the eye. But so it, it's a large area. The, the total area varies from uh, 1.3 million to... 3.9 million kilometers, square kilometers, and that's about 500,000 to 1.5 million square miles. So it's a very large uh, part of the ocean. Uh, so the here's some little history for the Bermuda Triangle. Um, the Bermuda Triangle was given uh, this name by writer Vincent Gaddis uh, in 1964. He came up with the phrase while writing for the men's publication magazine called Argosy. Uh, still, he was not the one that made this region famous and gave it its international notoriety. Uh, Charles Berlitz was the one that did that. He was a uh, man whose family was behind the extremely popular language learning courses. So he was obsessed with the paranormal and believed that Atlantis was real and was connected to the Bermuda Triangle. He talked about this theory in his book, fittingly titled uh, The Bermuda Triangle, and it became a bestseller. After that huge burst of popularity, many other media outlets started to talk about it, and the mystery became common knowledge. And anybody who watches the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, any of those kinds of channels know that, I don't know, it's it's like every six months they'll have a new show about the Bermuda Triangle. Well, or... and, and our top secret thing that we can't mention that occurred that's going to have a thing happen covered this topic. <laughs> Oh, I so hope we can announce that soon. I know. How obscure was that? But there you go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a big patch of ocean. There's not much more about the location profile, but I am going to go into some fun facts here that you may not have known about the Bermuda Triangle. Which is kind of crazy to think of stuff you don't know about it because it's right. so proliferant through... I didn't know Society. most of these. I, I, there's know, only, I didn't know some of them either. <laughs> <laughs> I only have five listed here, but I didn't know most of them. So our first fun fact, Christopher Columbus ventured into this area back in 1492. His journals noted that his compass had unusual spins and he saw fireballs in the sky uh, when he was in the triangle. So obviously in 1492, they they didn't call it the Bermuda Triangle yet, but even back then they were experiencing issues with their navigation. Uh, fun fact number two, according to some scholars, William Shakespeare's play, The Tempest, was based on real-life Bermuda shipwreck. So that's kind of interesting. 
Our fun fact number three, uh, it's one of the deepest spots on Earth. In fact, the underwater topography of the area could be a factor in the history of disappearances. It goes from a gently sloping continental shelf to an extremely deep drop-off. Some of the deepest trenches in the world are found in the area of the Bermuda Triangle. Ships or planes that sink into these deep trenches probably will never be found. So that does make logical sense for why a lot of these things aren't found. Sure. Um, It's just really hard to get down there to look for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So fun fact number four, the area has one of the highest incidences of UFO sightings, and alien abductions have been a popular explanation for the disappearances. But the abductions aren't the only theory. Some believe it's a portal to other planets. So, uh, you know, watch out if you're going for a, a sailboat ride in the Bermuda Triangle. Keep your keep your eyes up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so our fifth fun fact is scientists have discovered large concentrations of methane gas due to decomposing sea organisms trapped on the ocean floor. The methane accumulates as super-concentrated methane ice, and if a pocket ruptures, the gas surges up and erupts on the surface without warning. If a ship is in the area of, a, of the blowout, the water beneath it would suddenly become much less dense. It could sink, and sediment could quickly cover it up as it settles on the seafloor. So that is a really interesting fact, and I've I've seen a TV show on that before. It's yeah, where they've ter- done models of what can happen to a boat when it pops up. Yeah, pretty terrifying. Think of yeah. it almost as like um, like a sinkhole on land, but in the ocean. And yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. But uh, so those are just a couple fun facts about the Bermuda Triangle and. Joe now is kind of he's going to go into the timeline of some interesting disappearances and then the uh, the fun part where we talk theories. <laughs> yeah, so for this episode, we're going to cover just some of the most popular stories surrounding the Bermuda Triangle and we'll talk about both the uh, possible supernatural explanations as well as the scientific community's theories regarding odd occurrences or what could have happened and then we'll leave it up to you the listener to decide. So the first one we're going to cover is the story of the USS Cyclops. It was an AC-4, was the second of four colliers built for the United States Navy several years before World War I. So colliers like a, a shipping ship, essentially. They carry cargo. The incident with Cyclops resulted in the single largest loss of life uh, in non-war uh, in the Navy, I think to this day still. So the ship was carrying a full load of manganese ore, and one engine with one engine out of action action went missing without a trace with the crew of 309 aboard sometime after March 4th in 1918 after departing the island of Barbados although there is no strong evidence for any single theory many independent theorists exist uh, some blaming storms some capsizing and some suggesting that wartime enemy activity was to blame for the loss in addition two of cyclops's sister ships the uh, protus and the Nearest were subsequently lost in the North Atlantic during World War II. Both ships were transporting heavy loads of metallic ore similar to the one that was loaded on Cyclops during her fatal voyage. In all three cases, structural failures due to overloading with a much denser cargo than designed is considered the most likely cause for sinking. So it kind of throws the theory out there. Um, Mike, what do you think happened to that one? We're going to get into major theories later, but we'll, we'll kind of stop on each one and, and you can give me your quick opinion. 
Yeah, you know, that one is tough. So I, I was looking at pictures of it. it. You know, it's a pretty massive ship, had a large crew on it. And but, it, you know, it sounds like it was, you know, loaded to the max. So it was probably loaded to the capacity that it can carry. Um, I agree. I, th- I think I think if the other two were lost for like structural failures and they're the same type of ship. Yeah. And or being one of the heavier elements, you know, it's like, hey, we can fill this thing up to here. Let's do that. But then you put the most dense element you can in there in that same space. Yep. And it, it might have just been too much. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, anybody who, you know, watches shows like this, they know you can have rogue waves out in the ocean that kind of come out of nowhere and can hit you in the side of the ship that could, you know, capsize it or cause structural damage. I think if you've got, you know, and that's the, modern ships. Yeah. So if you have, you know, the sister ships, you know, sank because of structural area, you know, issues, I, I wouldn't, you know, think that the same thing happening to this one would be outside of the realm of possibilities. Nope. I agree with you. I agree a hundred percent with you on that one. But yeah, it's still, uh, it's still an interesting case. Yeah. This one, this, this next one coming up is, is quite weird to me. It's, it's called flight 19. It was a training flight of five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers that all disappeared on December 5th, 1945 over the Atlantic. The squadron's flight plan was scheduled to take them due east from Fort Lauderdale for about 141 miles, north for 73 miles, and then back over a final 140-mile leg to complete the exercise. The flight never returned to base. The disappearance was attributed by Navy investigators to a navigational error leading to the aircraft running out of fuel. However, this is where it gets crazy. One of the search and rescue aircraft deployed to look for them, a PBM Mariner with a 13-man crew, also disappeared. So when it went out to look for them, that one also never came back. And they didn't have any radio signals or anything that would say it was off. A tanker off the coast of Florida reported seeing an explosion and observing a widespread oil slick when fruitless, uh, fruitlessly searching for survivors. The weather was becoming stormy by the end of the incident. According to contemporary sources, the Mariner had a history of explosions due to vapor leaks when heavily loaded with fuel, as it might have been a potentially long search and rescue operation. So, yeah, this is one of the most famous disappearances in the the Buna Triangle. And um, the, the, the PBM Mariner, I think, is more easily explained with that statement that said they were prone to uh, explosions due to vapor leaks. Yep. I mean, what are the odds that it happened while they were searching for, you know, five other planes that went missing? But I think that's what's what the crazy part is, is that the odds and I don't know, statistically that it happened in the same kind of realm as the other one disappearing. But yeah, the, the other five uh, TBM Avenger planes going missing that is, that's puzzling. I, the, you know, I, I can't imagine what might have caused that. I can maybe, maybe they got turned around due to their compasses not working and they couldn't find land and, you know, ran out of fuel. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these guys, you know, are probably highly trained Navy pilots. They, I'm sure they had maps with them and, I mean, if you're flying in the Atlantic and you know where the sun is in the sky, you can kind of guess which way land is. <laughs> yeah, and from what I understand, the pilots were very well-skilled. It's not like they're new pilots. They've done this before. 
uh, it was very routine mission yeah. uh, for training. And I mean, you know, weather is always a condition when you're flying, uh, perhaps a storm, you know, whipped up really quick, but I don't, I don't think they would have launched the squadron if the weather was bad at the time. And you'd think that, you know, the storms can't, you know, bubble up that fast. Well, and they would avoid them. Yeah. It's not like they're going to fly right into a thick storm. They would, you know, it's a, it was a training mission. So if something's going to go wrong, you abort. Um, at least you think you would. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say something happened where they, they were, you know, like, like you read, they had a navigational error and couldn't make it back to land. Um, could have been vibrating crystals from Atlantis, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But that does beg the question, too, is I, I'm sure these guys were equipped with parachutes. And if they just run out of fuel, you know, they're not their planes aren't going to be damaged. They could have, you know, as they were gliding down towards the ocean, ditched their planes and, you know, pulled the well, parachutes. I think that's what's crazy is you have five different planes. And yeah. that's where if it was a single one, okay. But when you have this many uh, airborne, to have all of them together disappear, I think is and, and no survivors, no wreckage found, no nothing, no uh, radio communications that oh hey we're out of fuel we're we're ditching yeah um that's odd yeah so yeah this one's another puzzling case and yeah this is <laughs> the one of the more famous disappearances in the the Bermuda Triangle yes and the next one we're going to cover the witchcraft and it's not witchcraft of actual witches but that is the name of the boat so in december 1967 captain dan burak climbed aboard the witchcraft his luxury cabin cruiser and set sail for miami with a friend uh, roman catholic priest father patrick horgan they went just far enough to get out of view of christmas lights on shore at 9 p.m captain burke radioed the coast guard to report he hit something he didn't think the damage was too bad, but he would need a tow back in. He even said he lit up some flare so they could find him. The Coast Guard took off immediately. It took them only 20 minutes to reach the witchcraft's location, but by the time they arrived, the ship was gone. Burak was an experienced and cautious yachtsman. He even installed a special flotation device in the boat to make it unsinkable. Even if the boat flooded, a part of the hull would still float, but nothing was visible to the Coast Guard. There was no wreckage or flares. They searched 24,500 miles out and found nothing. What became of the witchcraft and her passengers still remains a mystery. This is the problem whenever they call a boat unsinkable. It typically sinks. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the Titanic. It was the big unsinkable boat, and then it sank. Yeah, I mean, perhaps he had a, his flotation device didn't deploy properly or yeah, at that's, all. Well, that's where I'm wondering, Like, is it like something in the boat itself that's always full of air. So like no matter like if the boat's punctured, it's like a separate bladder that's always just full of air. So it's not, I don't know. I'd love to know more about this, this device, but it's still, again, uh, he was in communication. He was just out of sight of shore sent up, said he was sending up flares to which the coast guard did not see. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's insane. This is a more recent event you know in 1967 they did have a lot of the technology that you would need to navigate appropriately yeah and the fact that the coast guard arrived at his last known location only 20 minutes later i find it pretty hard to believe that his ship would be completely submerged and gone 
in 20 minutes. Now, I don't know how big of a, a you know, a ship this is. Uh, I guess I should have done a little show prep and looked it up. <laughs> but but even look at it this way, to your point, even if it, it's unsinkable and it starts sinking, uh, they have life preservers. They have – it seemed like he had the – because he was a cautious yachtsman, I'm assuming like when I go on boats – I've gone on boats with you – where you have like safety beacons and things like that, like lights that can, even if you get in the water, you can still make people known in your presence. So I'm imagining that it's, it's nighttime. Cause they said they just lost the Christmas lights. So yep. if they have any light or flare of their own, it would be seen from a lot farther away at night than it would be during the day. So it almost, you'd think it'd be easier to find them. So I'm looking at a picture of it and it looks like uh, so it's a 23 foot long luxury cabin cruiser. Kind of reminds me of the the boat from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but it, so it's a you know a decent sized boat. We there's a lot of this kind of a boat on Lake Geneva from where I'm from, and I just can't unless it was like cut in half. I just can't picture a boat like that sinking in 20 minutes completely. Yeah, it's gonna take some time. Especially if the weather conditions, it sounds like the weather wasn't, um, you know, there's no mention of, you know, issues with the weather. So it's not like the seas are super rough that day or there was a lot of rain coming down or lightning or anything like that. I mean, I could imagine maybe in really heavy seas, you know, with high waves and a lot of wind that maybe a boat could. Well, and here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. We assumed it was sinking already. He just reported that he hit something and they needed a tow. Yeah. So he didn't even report that like we're sinking, we're, you know, mayday, mayday, we're going down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, oh, we hit something. The damage wasn't too bad, but we're going to need to be towed back in. And they dispatched immediately. You know, it's nine o'clock at night. They're sending up flares. What happened in that 20 minutes from that, his calm signal out to it's completely gone now. Yeah. And you know, if he has to ditch the boat, why you would think he would send one final communication to the Coast Guard, be like, Hey, my boat's sinking. We're uh, throwing life jackets on and, you know, jumping overboard. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it's another crazy case of, you know, why didn't they communicate that, you know, it was sinking, I guess maybe if it was something really sudden, they wouldn't have time to, to send that radio message out. Well, how about this? What do you think about malicious intent? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about this uh, this guy, but maybe he I'm just was... trying to think of possibilities. I'm not saying it was, but I'm I'm trying to think of a reason why he'd be so calm. You know, did he misreport the location, say all those things? And that's a good point. I didn't think of. Perhaps he sent the wrong coordinates to the Coast Guard, and they went to the wrong area. That yeah, maybe that could be also, um, and they were just adrift out there. And yeah. Even then, though, they searched the whole area, and it's nighttime, and with lights, I feel like it'd be easier to find, like, everyone, th- I think during the day would almost be harder if you're, like, combating the sun with communication, unless you have, like, bright, you know, yellow raft or something like that, but I feel like at night, if you got flares and lights and beacons and stuff in, and, and like, a, a flotation device, like mm-hmm. a raft or something you can jump on, it might be easier for them to search for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... uh that's a bizarre one, and obviously, to this day, they haven't found him or his boat. Who knows where it is? <laughs> All right, so let's get into some of the theories, and I'm going to start with um, the paranormal ones and then kind of go into more of the scientific ones that uh, you covered a little bit in some of the facts. So okay. the first ones, and this one, okay, this one always falls under paranormal, but I believe there's some scientific backing to it, the vile vortices theory. 
So okay. 14 researcher Ivan Sanderson suspected that the strange sea and sky phenomena, mechanical and instrument malfunctions, and mysterious disappearances were a result of what he called vile vortices. These are areas. These areas are places with extreme currents and temperature variations affecting electromagnetic fields. And the Bermuda Triangle wasn't the only place on Earth where this occurred. Sanderson drew out elaborate charts in which he identified 10 such location, locations precisely distributed around the globe, five above and five below the uh, equal distance from the equator. So I personally believe there are areas like this that are real. I don't necessarily subscribe to exactly what occurs there. Mm-hmm. Um, but even a buddy of mine, that uh, one of the guys I climbed Kilimanjaro with, he was just out in Nevada doing some side-by-side stuff out in the desert. And they were in an area where he said that they were doing stuff and he like just felt weird when they're in this specific city. Like he was riding, doing stuff in the desert and he's like, I just, my body felt weird, all this stuff. He's like, and then I went to a store and was just talking about like trying to get med, like Tylenol or ibuprofen. And one of the clerks brought up that they're in one of the locations where these vile vortices occur. Yeah. And as soon as he left the area, he felt better. So he was he was getting odd feelings, which are attributed a lot of times with these areas before he even knew he was there. So it wasn't kind of that confirmation bias of a placebo. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe feeling better after he left could have been, but because he knew about it then. But still, there are these areas where compasses seem to just kind of wig out and just strange animals act strange. Yeah. And gravity's even a little bit different, and nobody really knows why. So that is paranormal, but I f- still feel like there's some uh, shred of scientific evidence behind it. Yeah, the interesting thing about this, and I, I don't know if I, what to believe on these. I mean, I, your explanation of it sounds legitimate to me. But we we mentioned this kind of phenomena in the Alaska Triangle episode. So yep. a lot of people believe that that area of Alaska that we covered, um, episode eight, by the way, if you've not listened. Uh, <laughs> has these same vortices at play that cause, you know, everything Joe described, including all the, the strange feelings that people in the area experience. So it may be, you know, might be a, a real a real thing that happens, especially that we have these, you know, several areas in the world on this planet where a lot of strange disappearances happen. So, yeah. yeah, correlation does not always mean causation, <laughs> but there's always clusters where these quote unquote vortices are. So yeah, so yeah, that's an interesting theory. I think at you know some point someday we will know more about that. Absolutely. Uh, the next one is magnetic variation. This theory was proposed by the Coast Guard over 30 years ago. It states the majority of disappearances can be attributed to the area's unique environmental features. First, the Devil's Triangle is one of two places on the Earth that a magnetic compass does point true north. Normally, it points towards magnetic north. The difference between the two is known as compass variation. A number of variation changes by as much as 20 degrees as one circumnavigates the Earth. If this compass variation or error is not compensated for, a navigator could find himself far off course and in deep trouble. So that's for people that don't hike or use maps. Uh, There's a delineation that when you look at a map, you actually have to set your compass to say, hey... Your needle's going to point to magnetic north, but magnetic north isn't directly on like where the north pole is. It's it, yeah. it moves. The actual magnetic north of Earth is always moving. So they update maps and you have to adjust your compass. However, they're saying this is one where magnetic and true north are perfectly aligned. And now you also have that in what is now vile vortice potentially. 
and you could have, again, navigation errors. I think this goes into that, the Flight 19 type stuff, and maybe even this guy on his boat if they're using magnetic compass to navigate. I, I Yeah, I think the, this magnetic variation probably explains a lot of the disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle. This is a a proven thing that happens in the Bermuda Triangle that, you know, compasses um, don't work correctly. And if you don't know that, you like Joe said, you can, you know, maybe those planes didn't compensate for that. And when they tried to fly back to base, when they were getting low on fuel, they went, you know, the wrong coordinates. So I, I think that's a very logical explanation for a lot of these disappearances. Yeah, if you're supposed to be going 140 miles west and you just went 145, 140 miles east instead, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big difference as far as getting back to land or even having people find you, I think. Mm-hmm. So this is a, uh, a big one, space-time warp. It has been suggested that from time to time, a rift in space-time opens up in the Bermuda Triangle and that planes and ships and the unlucky enough to be traveling in the area at the time are completely lost in it. That is why it is said that often utterly no trace of the craft, not even a wreckage, are ever found. So this was an X-Files episode. Yes, it was. <laughs> I remember it. Mulder went to this location and he got warped back in time to like a, a Nazi ship in the late thirties or something. Yep. Uh, I do remember that one. <laughs> so I don't know why I just said that, but no, uh, it's, it's that that's pretty much the only context we can have to that being a story. Uh, <laughs> they, they took that story and turned it in X-Files episode. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, this one's obviously pretty far out there. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe a, a logical explanation for things never being found is, you know, like like I said early on, uh, the Bermuda Triangle is very deep in spots. Yeah. So potentially something goes down and it gets down into one of those deep uh, spots of the ocean and they just don't find it. Yeah, it's down in a trench somewhere covered by sent- sediment. And... Yeah. What's, what's crazy, though, is because they do the sonar um... – stuff now to find wreckages and things. And a lot of times they, they search in that area and don't find anything either, which is, it'll be interesting as technology continues to improve to see if they slowly uncover stuff. Like they found Amelia Earhart's plane, you know, just only a few years ago. And that solved, you know, that was one of the big ones that everyone thought she disappeared, disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. It turns out she crash landed, was on an Island somewhere, probably living for a little bit before she perished. So it's hopefully over time with new tech as we get better, we start uncovering some of these things and then we'll find out some real answers. I mean, I would love to wake up one day and to hear on the news that space time warps are a real thing. That would be yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, it would. But I think, you know, logically, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person you got to show me evidence and then I'll believe. I think I need to see evidence for first before I'm, you know, throwing my my weight behind space time warps. <laughs> you know who did that best was uh, the Treehouse of Horrors, the Simpsons oh, episode, yeah. where they uncovered the Native American skull yeah. and it opened up that space time warp to another planet where everyone th- everyone just threw their garbage in there. <laughs> do you remember? All yeah. the aliens in the other world loved all Earth's like reject stuff. They're like <laughs> they're praising the Microsoft Zune for an MP3 player and all that oh, stuff. Oh, that's funny. It was, ge- it was genius. <laughs> Good on Matt Groening. Yeah. All right. So uh, another one, electronic fog. So the question is, is an electronic fog responsible for many of the unexplained incidents and disappearances? 
That is the assertion made by Rob McGregor and Bruce German in their book, The Fog. Gernon himself is a firsthand witness and survivor of the strange phenomenon. On December 4th, 1970, he and his dad were flying their Bonanza A36 over the Bahamas en route to uh, Bimini. And I think Bimini is off of uh, Bermuda. I think so. I'll look it up while you're talking. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> they encountered strange cloud phenomenon, a tunnel-shaped vortex, the sides of which the plane's wings scraped as they flew. So it actually made contact, like physical contact with this tunnel-shaped vortex. All of the plane's electronic and magnetic navigational instruments malfunctioned, and the magnetic compass spun inexplicably. As they neared the end of the tunnel... They expected to see clear blue sky. Instead, they saw only dull grayish white for miles. No ocean, sky, or horizon. After flying for 34 minutes, a time corroborated a time corroborated by every clock on board, they found themselves over Miami Beach, a flight that would normally have taken them 75 minutes. McGregor and Gernon believe the electronic fog that Gernon experienced may have also been responsible for the famous disappearance of Flight 19 and other vanishing aircrafts and ships ships so they experience and this is again another x-files yeah uh, whenever someone's abducted there is that time delay so -hmm. they in their account flew through you know think of like a vertical tornado you know a tunnel a vortex that the edges of their wings were physically touching if they got too close to the edges and after only 34 minutes completed a flight that normally takes 75 and they ended up over miami beach so it kind of like a like a, almost a mini uh, space time warp. <laughs> yeah, they they went forward in time. You know, like uh, apparently. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, this is another one of those kind of far out theories. I don't. I don't think I would rule out some kind of electromagnetic storm that maybe disrupts instrumentation on a plane. Sure. Um, I'm I'm sure that's probably possible. At least maybe, you know, on older planes. So right you know, now we're talking about the merit of the individual reporting it too. Yeah. So that's that's what's unfortunate about humans is there could be a number of reasons why he might make a story like this up mm-hmm. or a number of reasons why maybe he's telling the truth, but it's because he experienced something that clouded his judgment or his memory. Um, I don't want to call any of that into question, but I mean, that's the unfortunate thing about the human element is people lie sometimes or misreport things or misunderstand what actually happened. Yeah. Some people, you know, experience one thing, but convince themselves that something else happened. And, you know, to them, they're not lying. Like that's what happened. And I, who knows? I mean, that would be crazy. You know, how he flew through some kind of tunnel shaped vortex that, you know, you know, going like maybe something happened where you know he had a tailwind maybe he was flying through some kind of storm and there was a tailwind that was you know really pushing him along a lot quicker than uh he he would normally fly and with his instrumentations malfunctioning he uh he wouldn't know what his ground speed was and anyone who doesn't know what a tailwind is when you're flying there's there's usually either a tailwind or a headwind. A headwind is when a plane or an airline jet is you know the flying into a wind that's blowing towards the plane, so it's slowing the plane's uh, ground speed down. A tailwind is wind that's blowing with you, and it helps you know the 
the plane, you know, airline jets sometimes can get to their locations a little faster, use a little less fuel when they have a tailwind. So, I don't know, maybe he flew through some kind of crazy storm that, you know, sped him up a lot quicker than he would have normally flown. <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess that's possible, but... Yeah, yeah. I, that's a logical explanation of what happened, but... But, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting theory. Um, and, I, yeah, I've, I've seen a show on that one, too, Electronic Fog. <laughs> no matter what was happening that made him think that was going on or if that actually happened, that, that, that would mess with you. Yeah, I mean, if he truly was in some kind of severe uh, thunderstorm and that w- they had so much you know, lightning and things like that to make him think he was in some kind of tunnel vortex, yeah, yeah that would be shocking that his plane survived that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I- interesting theory. All right, so we will move on to another. There's a lot of paranormal ones I cover here. They're all good, though. Uh, when in doubt, blame on the aliens, right? So <laughs> UFOs, <laughs> although their motives are unclear, as they always have been, it has been suggested that aliens have chosen the Bermuda Triangle as a point at which to capture and abduct their un- for unknown purposes. Actually, it does make sense. If that's the most trafficked area and you want to pluck people out of the ocean, Yeah, that's the most efficient, I guess. You're away from land. No one can see you and everyone's going there. Yeah, you're not going to go to like Montana. You're going to go to where everybody's at. Or even just going to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You might see a sheep ship every thousand miles or whatever. But yeah, (laughs) aside from the lack of evidence for this theory, we have to wonder why the aliens would take whole aircrafts and ships, some of some of which are considerable size. Why not just abduct the occupants in the same way they are said to take people from their homes in the dead of night? So... There really isn't any stories to corroborate that otherwise, other than people saying, you know, I see bright lights or whatever. Yeah. But that is a theory that the dude from Ancient Aliens probably believes <laughs> is the number one reason. So we'll go with that and it has to be on the list. No, and I think, uh, I don't know, Joe, have you seen the documentary on Amazon called The Phenomena? I have not. Uh, if you get a chance, rent it. It's wait. It's is re- it a couple? Is it episode? Is there like a bunch of different episodes? No, it's it's one single documentary, and it kind of covers the last from pretty much Roswell to current day. And they interview a lot of ex-military and government officials, including you know the old um, Harry Reid, who was the um, majority leader in the Senate at one point, who has been leading an effort right now to get a lot of this information on ufos released to the public oh i want to see that because that stuff i do believe in so i'm saying i don't believe in regarding to the bermuda triangle just because there's no evidence of it but even that that israeli uh director (laughs) came out that high level government official that like retired came out and said this this is really far-fetched so i don't know what to believe on this one but he made a statement like that aliens exist they live among us they meet with us on mars and there's a federation yeah, there's a federation and the base is on Mars, and we've been going there since like the '60s or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to think maybe this guy probably uh, maybe missed like his meds, missed his yeah, meds for right. a few days. But like um, the thing that makes it crazy is he's the at the level at which would know that. Yeah. I think that's what gave it a little more credibility than like you know like Bob Lazar has been proven correct on a lot of the stuff he's come out with, but like. He was just a lowly contractor that mm-hmm. supposedly worked at Area 51, whereas this guy uh, like ran intelligence for Israel and is now like, yep, it's all real. Like, yeah. Deal well, with it. I urge anyone who you know is interested in you know reading more about UFOs. It's I don't know what to think. I think I like I said before, you know, show me evidence. 
more evidence than, you know, just some really grainy photo that could have Dude, been let's photoshopped. Do, let's do a Patreon episode on recent <laughs> UFO. We I'm could. serious. Let's do let's do a Patreon episode on recent UFO revelations because the Pentagon releasing uh, saying, "Yep, we have a division on UFOs and we found material not of this world or yeah. like ships." They use the word ships. So like there's been some pretty exciting stuff that has been blowing our minds that I don't think is getting as much attention as, as it should. So I think we should do a Patreon episode on it. I would urge anybody who's interested in that topic to start with this documentary that's on Amazon Prime. It's called The Phenomena, and you can rent it. And it, it's very interesting. It's well done. And they do interview a lot of people that I would call uh, credible sources. You're talking um, people that are that were in the military, high up in the military, people that were high up in, you know, the U.S. government. Uh, they interviewed a guy who was deputy uh, secretary of defense or something under Barack Obama. So you've got, a, you know, Harry Reid, the uh, speaker of the Senate. So you've got a lot of really high ranking people that I don't think there's a benefit benefit to them for coming out and talking about aliens and UFOs because exactly. It's probably a detriment to them to do it. Yeah. And a lot of these guys are wealthy individuals that, you know, they're not doing it for money and they're definitely not doing it for their reputation. Cause you know, even if what they're saying sounds believable, there's going to be a good chunk of people that think they're just crazy. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it's a really interesting documentary. They don't talk anything about the Bermuda triangle, but if there's weird stuff going on in the Bermuda Triangle or anywhere on the planet, just like the guy from Ancient Aliens with the crazy hair, you know, UFOs are always mentioned. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, All interesting right, I got, theory. I got two more paranormal ones. Okay. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the not paranormal. So, Atlantis. So, some believe that the location for the legendary island of Atlantis is in the area of the Bermuda Triangle. They say that Atlanteans were a civilization that had developed amazing advanced technology and somehow remnants of this technology is still active somewhere on the ocean floor. This technology, they say, might interfere with instrumentation on modern ships and planes, causing them to sink or crash. Proponents of the idea cite the so-called Bimini Road rock formation in the area as evidence. Yet there seems to be no evidence for the advanced technology except perhaps for the incredible claim of a discovery made by Dr. Ray Brown in 1970. While scuba diving near Bari, the Bari Islands in the Bahamas, Brown says he came upon a pyramid-like structure with a smooth mirror-like stone finish. Swimming inside, he found the interior to be completely free of coral and algae and was illuminated by some unknown light source. In the center was a sculpture of human hands holding a four-inch crystal sphere above which was suspended a red gem at the end of a brass rod. So it sounds like in Aquaman, yep. where, where they are keeping the mother uh, cube that uh, what's-his-name was going after. That's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, Atlantis, The where's Atlantis, I think is probably one of the world's oldest uh, legends. And I I'm a skeptic. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, this guy who claims to see all this, you know, why didn't he come back with other people? Um, Agreed. Agreed. How, have, how have we not found a giant pyramid on the bottom of the ocean yet? Um, I think it's a really cool story and the history behind it's interesting. And the legend has kind of grown over the years. <laughs> so uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, they've found 
lost civilizations in the bottom of the ocean that are in the area that they think Atlantis might be, but it's more of a, hey, like thousands and thousands of years ago, this may have not been underwater and this yeah. was just a normal town and now it's underwater. <laughs> and it's it's just like any, you know, archaeological find of an old city. Yeah. And I think people giving it its magical powers is probably a misnomer over what's actually happening. Yep. No, so interesting theory. Uh, maybe I'll be proved wrong someday and they find Atlantis. Yep, that'd the, be great. The Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> so another, th- the last theory uh, by psychiatrist Dr. Kenneth McCall of Brooklynhurst in England thinks that the Bermuda Triangle deaths and disappearances are all the consequences of a curse. And he believed the area may be haunted by the spirits of the many Afri- African slaves who had been thrown overboard on their voyage to America. In the book Healing the Haunted, he wrote of his strange experiences while sailing in these waters. And this is his quote from the book. As we drifted gently into the now warm and steamy atmosphere, I became aware of a conscious sound like mournful singing. Like mournful singing, he wrote. I thought it must be a record player in the crew's quarters, and as it continued through the second night, I finally, in exasperation, went below to ask if it could be stopped. However, the sound down there was the same as it was everywhere else, and the crew were equally mystified. He later learned how in the 18th century, British sea captains defrauded insurance companies by tossing slaves into the ocean to drown, then cashing in on the claim for them. So he thinks it's the souls of dead African-American slaves coming over that are to blame for a lot of the disappearances and deaths in that area. Well, you know, first, I'm never... I'm always amazed at the horrors that humans can inflict on other humans (laughs) throughout history. Yeah. Uh, It's just horrific that people would literally toss other human beings into the ocean so they could, you know, make a little extra money. Uh, It's just crazy. Um, Beyond that. uh, Yeah. It's an interesting theory. This kind of goes in line with some of our episodes where we do urban legends where there's hauntings and, you know, paranormal activity from somewhere where someone died or was murdered or, um, so who knows? Yeah. I mean, if you believe in, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff, this might be a, you know, a theory for you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a sad story of people being thrown overboard. Is it, are they haunting the ocean and, you know, taking people? Uh, it sounds like a great horror movie. Yeah, I think it definitely could be a good horror movie. I don't necessarily uh, associate that with the actual explanation. Yeah. So I think the we're onto the theory that I think is quite possibly has a lot of legs to it outside of uh, the one theory that we don't have to go into much is the fact that compasses do, for whatever reason, spin out of control. And that's why that vile vortice thing. Maybe it's not, quote unquote, vile vortices. But there is something there that causes compasses to freak out. Compasses to freak out every now and then, and that's been confirmed by the Coast Guard. It's been confirmed by people who don't go missing, and all the in betweens. Yeah, the methane gas hydrates, and you talked about this as one of the fun facts. So it's one of the most interesting scientific theories for the disappearances of ships in the Triangle, and this is specifically ships because it, you have to be floating on the water for it to be mm-hmm. a theory. So it was proposed by Dr. Richard McIver an American geologist, and further espoused by Dr. Ben Clennells of Leeds University in England. The methane hydrates 
bubbling up from the sea sediments on the floor, as you mentioned earlier, might cause the ships to disappear because when there are the bubbles coming up, it changes the density of water. So things that are buoyant no longer become buoyant. So like it can be a perfectly healthy ship, if you will. No hole breaches, no nothing wrong with it. And quite literally the density is changing all around the ship and it will just sink. And then obviously when it goes below the surface, it starts to fill with water and then the sinking continues. But because the density, the buoyancy changed, uh, that's all it takes. And they think that landslides on the ocean floor can release so many, so such amounts of this gas that it would be disastrous for any boat above it. And then on top of that, as you'd mentioned, when it, these landslides are occurring, if the ship does sink directly to the bottom and the shift is occurring, it could actually be buried under the sediment, almost like quicksand. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a very logical explanation. I mean, if just picture, you know, like um, I'm trying to think of like a pool or a hot tub where there's lots of bubbles mm-hmm. and it, you don't have just, a, you know, solid water there. You've got a lot of uh, space in those bubbles. So just imagine that on a, a level the size of a freighter and a freighter loaded to the max with iron ore, you know, that ship is going to literally sink like a, a lead weight um, without that water underneath it. Cause it's basically Absolutely. just methane gas, uh, which I believe is even less dense than air. I probably. Yeah. Well, wrong. and that's that they even, they even go to farther to say now, that can't cause the airplane go down. However, what is the gas that's being expelled? It's methane. It's highly combustible. Yeah. So imagine a low-flying aircraft with all this methane gas in the air could cause an explosion in the aircraft engines, and that would cause the plane to go down. Yeah. So I think this is a legitimate theory. I mean, it's they discover that these deposits exist, and they do get released over time. Yeah. And because it's a heavily trafficked lane... The odds are over time you're going to have a ship or a plane be in the exact wrong place at the exact wrong time for that to occur. Like it, at a certain height above the sea for the amount of methane in the air to cause it to explode where it wasn't dissipated enough yet. Yeah, no, I think I think this one makes a lot of sense to me. It'd be interesting to know if, uh, you know, NASA or NOAA who have satellites in the, you know, orbiting Earth that look back down on Earth if they notice these, you know, pockets of methane getting released. I'm I'm sure they have, you know, instrumentation that can can track that or maybe they don't. Um, but yeah, I think out of all the theories, I think that one and the the issues with the compass are probably what explains most of the disappearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of really other cool disappearances or theories that you know are very good cannon fodder for pop culture and you know TV shows and yeah. movies. So um Excellent. Well, uh, another another fun episode. Uh, Joe and I love doing doing these fun ones to kind of switch it up. <laughs> um, anything else from your end, Joe? No, um, I I'm all. That's pretty much all of them. I want to hear all of your guys' theories. What you think? If you think we're crazy and it's actually aliens, and you know of stories that we don't know, tell them. Outside of that, thanks again for tuning into the show. We appreciate you all for sharing locations and know with your friends and family. We have been growing exponentially in the last few months, and it's been awesome for the interaction with all the patrons, patrons and our fans. Uh, be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have a YouTube channel, so you can subscribe to that and get the show audio that's released a little bit after it goes live on the net. 
Uh, and it, as we've always said, if you want to support us, visit our Facebook store and buy some of our cool swag. I'm always posting pictures of me wearing all the stuff. Um, otherwise, you can also sign up for Patreon where you'll, you will get bonus early episodes. And remember, just when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, to leave no trace. Thank you, and we will see you next time. Thank you.